to create a model of transformational leadership, service learning, social innovation, and humanitarian works. His model is designed to teach and optimize service learning experiences, transformational leadership, development, and global competencies, which leads to social innovation and produces sustainable humanitarian works. In other words, transforming communities one life at a time. Dr. Ramon's global experience is vast. He has lived in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and has traveled extensively for leadership engagement and humanitarian efforts throughout the United States and all over the world. As a graduate of the U.S. Naval Supply Corps School, Dr. Ramon served as a commanding officer in the U.S. Navy Reserve. Dr. Ramon received his doctorate in global contextual leadership from Bethel University and Seminary. And prior to creating Impact Lives, spent 15 years as a surgical consultant and medical device specialist. He is the recipient of the Doctor Act Award presented by Transform, Council for Research and Innovation in Switzerland, an award given in recognition for outstanding achievement in, in social innovation. Dr. Ramon has a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo and has been inducted into two halls of fame. He enjoys family time in Maple Grove, Minnesota, with his wife, Shelly, and his sons, Xavier and Kristen. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Ramon Pastrano. Thank you, Bethel. I'm embarrassed, I have to be honest with you. I'm blushing, but you can tell. So, uh, wow, I had no idea that uh, she was going to read the whole entire thing, so. Uh, a lot of those things change. Uh, you know what? I don't mind, uh, how, you know, that you heard all that, and I tell you why. It's because what God has been doing in my life and how he has worked in my life and how he has used everything that you heard to bring me where I am today. So, but before I get into that, I just want to, you know, uh, thanks uh, Dr. Bilkin for inviting me here to, uh, you know, to be with you this morning. Uh, Kelly Ripley for uh, really helping me out, you know, find my way uh, here, my good friend, Dr. Ken Castor, who has uh, uh, been praying for me, and even when he first moved here, uh, the, first, the first things that he did with his family was visit uh, Impact Lives, you know, my organization. So, uh, well, let's get to work. When, uh, when I was invited here, I have no idea what I was going to be talking about it, and I called Kelly, and she told me that you've been, the theme for this year is uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not a preacher, even though, you know, I have done that, you know, a few times. Uh, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to preach to you, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to look through the, uh, to this uh, passage through the eyes of the things that I've been doing. So um, try to give you an idea of what this white door is and what it looked like. But then I want to focus uh, my atten your attention into what effective service is and what the adversaries, you know, is. Now, what is really interesting, too, uh, when I talk with Kelly, uh, when I exchange email with her about what should I be speaking today uh, about, is that this has been part of my research. So understanding how churches are doing mission, how nonprofit organizations, NGOs, are doing humanitarian work, why it has failed, why you know, some of them are being more effective than others. And uh, I thought it was uh, fitting you know, that that will be uh, the direction that I will be you know, going uh, through you know, today. 
But one thing that is really critical, in order for us to do effective service, we need to understand two, two things that are very critical. We need to understand who we are. We need to, to have a good understanding and a good a grasp of our identity. Not just our you know, uh, physical identity, but also our identity in Christ. Who are we? You know, how are we wired? How do we think? How do we form our mental models? How do we, you know, uh, get to the place where we are today? The second part is we need to understand the context that we live in. We need to understand what's going on in our world today. I call that the here. So it is a fine line. It's a fine dance between what we call the ego and the eco, working from the inside to the outside, back and forth. It's not one more than the other. So... Let me talk first about what that white door is. To me, the white door is what's going on right now in the world. We have developed a massive economy that is still live behind three billion people. We have three billion people living on less than $2 a day. That's the kind of economy that we have built. That's the wide door. That's the opportunity. We have a failing educational system worldwide that is affecting not only people in the United States, but also people all over the world. We have developed a failing healthcare system that is failing people in all over the United States and all over the world. A healthcare system that is, that, that is uh, we have people dying of treatable disease today, treatable diseases today, and this healthcare system that we have created worldwide is just, you know, it's not doing it. So we need to look at the world and we need to have a sense of reality of what's going on. So the next few, few minutes, I'm gonna spend some time going through that, what that sense of reality is. Um, this is uh, from one of the courses that I'm taking uh, through MIT. Next slide, please. And uh, what's going on? There are three major divides. There is an ecological divide, there is a social divide and there is an experiential divide. When you look at the world, the entire world, the ecological divide, for example, is if we look, if we assign one number to our planet, the number one, we are consuming 1.5 more than the planet can reproduce itself. So we are living right now and we have created a world that is not sustainable. The second one is a social you know, divide. You see what's going on. We have Ferguson, we have Baltimore. We see what's going on right now in our society. There's something, there's you know, uh, ethnic you know, problems all over the world. And then we have a spiritual divide. Do you know that there are more, when you add all the crimes, all the murders, and all the people dying from war, do you understand that there are more people committing suicide in the world? The suicides numbers are more than those numbers combined. So it's telling us that there's something. The world is crying for change. The world is crying for transformation. To me, that's where is, uh, the, the white door has been opened. Next slide, please. The other thing is that we need, we need to be conscious. We need to be aware of what's going on in our world uh, today. If we look at um, you know, short-term mission trips, which have been one of the tools that we, the church, has been using to, uh, to create change, we, we spend between five to eight billion dollars on short-term mission trips, and we need to ask at the same, we need to ask these questions. Are we being effective about you know, what we're doing? Are we doing what we said that we're doing when we go into uh, short-term mission trips? 
or long-term mission trips. It doesn't matter. And this is just the United States alone. So when I work with churches, this is one of the things that I discuss with them. Do you want to go and do short-term mission trip, trips in the traditional way, or do you really want to have uh, an effective process in place where you can really uh, create the conditions where people can experience transformation? Uh, you can see that uh, when we combine school service learning, when we combine what other nonprofit organizations are doing, that number goes up to about $100 billion. And what happened when we um, um, invite people to volunteer is usually one-time event, one-time engagement. So there's no, there's no much you know, that, can, that we can draw out of that. Um, in reading Dambisa Moyo, um, her work on dead aid, why uh, aid is not working and how uh, there is a better way for Africa, we have, paid, we have spent in the last 50 years over $1.2 trillion in Africa. Why has that not worked? We need to ask this question because what's happening is the system that we have in place right now is set to produce what we're seeing today. Now, I'm 53 years old and I don't mind saying that. You know, I'm pretty soon be long gone. This is the world that you're inheriting. So what I'm trying to do today is paint a realistic picture for you, not trying to scare you, of what's going on in the world and why you should take this idea of a wide door, effective service very seriously. And hopefully, toward the end of the presentation, I will share with you what kind of things can hinder or can oppose your ability to do effective service. Next slide. Here's another quick picture about what's going on in Minnesota. And I just camp here just for one second. This is Minnesota, folks. This is the rate of disparity in, the state, in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, when they take uh, the 25 top large um, uh, metro areas around the United States, Minnesota rank one through four as in, uh, in disparity in education, in employment, in house, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. So this is what you are inheriting here in Minnesota. Next slide. So why do we have the problem? Well, the problem, I believe, is because everything that we do, we address it at the surface. 90% of the things that we 90% of the things that, that we are facing today are below the surface. In fact, our organization, Impact Lives, uh, we have been nicknamed the below the surface organization because that's where we want to work. We want to work at the root cause of the problem. We want to solve the problem. We just don't want to put a Band-Aid. We talk about the Band-Aid, and I know that sounds really, you know, um, you know, uh, fun to talk about, you know, yeah, X, Y organizations are putting the Band-Aid. We're seeing the results that we don't want to see. We see the symptoms. We see the processes. But you know what? That's, that's what we see. It is the way that the brain works, our human brain works, is that we suppress what makes us uncomfortable in order to diminish anxiety. So we're always going to see what is easy. We're always going to see what is tangible, what we can fix. This is why it is critical that we go a little bit deeper. So below the 10% of the iceberg that you're seeing are critical things like systemic, uh, systemic issues and structural barriers. Sometimes it's just eliminating some of those structural barriers to help something work. But still, you need to go one step deeper. You need to understand what the system limitation and the personal limitations are. 
And at the bottom, at the very bottom of the iceberg is the cause of all the problems that we're facing today, which is you and me. It's our worldview, our mental models, our frame of reference. Whatever we believe or whatever we choose to believe are going to be the filter through which we examine the world, and this is going to produce exactly the behavior that we don't want to see. If we are not aware, this is why identity is really important. Understanding how you think, how you're wired, where these mental models are coming from is critical because it's going to give you an idea of what you're going to see. So if you want to fix something, if you want to fix the problem, this is where you need to be. You need to be at the bottom of the iceberg. Next slide, please. So the journey to effective service learning, it begins with you. Okay, so one, uh, one um, quote that I really like is from an I need. We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. And if you don't understand who you are, what you're seeing is always going to be biased. It's always going to be flawed. So it begins with a greater understanding of who you are. The second one is self-awareness. And self-awareness is that movement that I share with you going from the internal to the external. You need to understand what your core capacity as the leaders are before you can try to attempt or to engage uh, into effective service. The quality of attention and intention that two people bring to a problem is going to determine whether that problem is going to be solved or not. Attention and intention bring energy. If there is attention but not intention, there's not going to be much engagement. So the attention and intention that you bring into whatever problem that you're, that you're trying to solve is going to create the energy that you need to solve that problem to do the effective service that you need to do. And you need to be aware of what is deep below the iceberg. Uh, next uh, slide, please. So when we talk about, next one, when we talk about uh, doing an effective service, one of the uh, authors that I researched that came, you know, very, that was very prominent on my research is Paolo Freire. Probably a lot of the teachers here uh, are familiar with Paolo Freire, Pedagogy of the, of the Oppressed. Amazing work. Uh, this man did something very remarkable in Brazil. He taught about, you know, a group of about six, you know, a group, I don't remember the amount of the group, but it was about 50, 30, 35 to 60 days. Taught him how to read and write and how to use critical thinking skills to influence the whole environment. So, he talked about true generosity. And true generosity is making sure that there's no false charity. That we are not going into places to do service and people, and when we leave, people still have their trembling hands standing. True generosity and true service will actually work in a way that the hands of the people will continue to be extended less and less and less, and they will become working hands. I say this because we're living in a day, day and age where we have so many organizations coming you know, to us, to our churches, to our cities, to our school, and they're telling us how well they are doing. Well, if they're doing so well, so what's going on with what I just shared with you at the beginning? How come those numbers haven't changed? I see an organization coming to tell us how they are uh, eliminating poverty. And yet, the same number, the number is still the same. It has not changed. Now, I have to be careful here because um, a lot of people think that I'm, uh, I'm not advocating for, you know, for generosity or for I'm not being supportive of organizations that claim to 
they want to stop charity, that's fine and dandy, that's really cool. But you need, to, you need to understand that to stop poverty, you need to change the mindset of 7.1 billion people. That is not a realistic goal. But it sounds good, right? It sounds good. The other thing is, you know, if we're talking about poverty, who are we to define poverty for other people? In fact, when we take group into some of these contexts, when we take students from here into Haiti, Dominican Republic, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, uh, one of the biggest aha that they have at the beginning is that, wow, these people don't even consider themselves poor. So who are we to define poverty you know, for them, right? So when I hear people talking about, you know, we're gonna you know, uh, eliminate poverty, well, poverty does not eliminate itself you know, through microloans to money. The problem with poverty has nothing to do with money. The problem with poverty has to do with the disease of the human soul called sin. You know, generosity, greed. It's about greed. So you have to change our greedy, you know, our, our desire for greed in order to really, you know, uh, impact uh, poverty. Uh, the other things that I, you know, that I, that, I, uh, that I hear a lot are words that have become more marketing tools, social innovation, transformation, sustainability. Those are great words for, uh, for marketing right now. Uh, anything that is in planet Earth right now is not sustainable. So to say that something is sustainable, it is not sustainable. You know, so we should aim for maintaining, but, it, you know, we need to really change, you know, our mindsets. We really need to change what's going on in our world in order to create a sustainable world. The only sustainable things that we have is our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, next slide, please. So, when we are talking about effective service, we need to begin with the here. What's going on in here, which is what I just presented to you. Why here is not a good place to be in. When Jesus Christ came into the world, that was because there was a problem. You know, there was a major problem, and the problem was sin. So Jesus came into the world to take us into a better place, which is called there. And there is not, you know, we're not perfect yet, you know, until we go to heaven, but still there is going to be a much better place with him here. And then the strategy, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? And what are the next steps, you know, for us? Next slide. So... Here's what the problems uh, are. When, we, when, we, uh, when I did the, the, uh, my research on service learning, service, and short-term mission trip, uh, four things really stand out. The first one is the service. Uh, usually when we go to do service, it's based on a simplistic idea of, uh, of understanding of service. What this means is that the recipient of what we're doing are never invited to the planning process. When the voices of the recipients are not part of the planning process, our ideas of service is going to be flawed. Our understanding of service is going to be flawed. Our response to the need from that particular service is going to be flawed. So if the recipient, if the people that we're intending to serve are not a part of the planning process, if we don't understand from their perspective what's going on and we just show up into their country, into the spaces here in the United States, you know, it's going to be very flawed. And I will give you a, a real-life example of what we're doing uh, to overcome some of the things. And again, 
uh, we have to make sure, you know, and I see this in Haiti, number three, happening quite a bit. We have so many NGOs, so many faith-based groups, so many nonprofit organizations working in Haiti. They're now working together. They're working individually. They're coming back here to the United States. Uh, oh, look what we're doing. But it's hindering policymakers and policymaking in Haiti that can help Haiti. And I know this because um, about two years ago, I had an opportunity to hear uh, the Prime Minister of Haiti and Bill Clinton speak about what's going on in Haiti. And he was begging people, stop, stop what you're doing, you know, work with us, work with us. But when we show up and government doesn't know what's going on, the tendency is to turn their face in, the, in, in another direction. Well, here come, you know, everybody else to help us out, to bring whatever is needed. So therefore, we don't need to spend our resources and budget, whatever, in here. So it's a very dangerous, um, it's a very dangerous thing when we are not working together and we're not collaborating or working with government. And um, service learning, short-term mission projects, uh, many of you probably read from good to great. No, not from good to great, I'm sorry. When, uh, when helping hurt. Anybody read when helping hurt? I mean, almost most missionaries have read that, you know, people going into short-term mission have read that book. In fact, right before the book came out, I was thinking about writing a book, When Good Intention Hurt, which is this idea that, you know, we all are well-intended here, but sometimes we go um, very naive into this particular context without understanding some of the things that I show you in the iceberg, the structural barrier, the system disconnect, the personal limitation that we need to understand before we can do effective service. The Apostle Paul knew this very well. And so the greatest example that we have in, in, the, in the Bible, which is Jesus Christ, he knew this very well as well. Next slide. So being in the medical field, one of the easiest examples that I like to share with people is the medical doctor. You know, what happens when if you get sick? If you get sick and you go to see a doctor, and the nurse doesn't talk with you, and she takes you into an examination room, and she begins to examine you, and then the doctor comes up, doesn't say anything, and two minutes later writes you a prescription. How will you feel? Right? You want to you make sure that the doctor take a look at you, examine you, examine your record, ask you questions, and then most doctors, what they will do is, once they have an idea of what is wrong with you, they will also include you in the course of therapy. So we have adopted this process when we do you know, short-term mission trip, when we take people into, uh, to do effective service you know, here in the United States and outside the United States. We want to be critical thinkers. We want to be people who try to do the work before we, you know, before we start prescribing. Uh, next slide, please. So, with regard to sustainability, you know, really there's no such a thing as sustainability, but we can do work that, um, let me, let me, let me back, back down a little bit. Peter Senge, which is one of uh, another, guy, another uh, great writer and great um, business mind uh, from the Harvard uh, group and the MIT group, says something to me that was very profound. He says, the, the problems that we are facing today were yesterday's solutions to other problems. The problem that we're dealing with today were yesterday's solutions to other problems. 
So which means if we're not paying attention, if we're not being really careful, when we go and do effective, try to do effective work, we might be creating problems for the future. So this is why it is critical that we learn from the past and that we look into the future before we try to solve press, uh, problems in the present. And we, we have to make sure as we design whatever course of uh, work we're going to do or effective work, whatever we decide to do, that we are not going to affect uh, future generations. Next slide, please. So four tests of effective service, you know, uh, the voice of the recipient need to be there, root cause analysis need to be there. Next slide. Our solution doesn't harm local economy and the solution will last. Okay. So let me tell you about three great doors that were open to us. One was here in Minnesota with the Mission Impact Council. Um, the Mission Impact Council is over 30 plus nonprofit organization, the YMCA, United Way, uh, 22 branches of the YMCA who came together and said, you know what? We don't like what we see in the Twin Cities. We don't like what we see and uh, we don't think that we can solve this problem that we're seeing to, you know, uh, alone. So we came in and we designed this new collective impact. We took all these 72 uh, members, you know, and grounded them to agree on how to do this the right way. It took 24 months, two years, to really get to the root cause of the problem. We divided ourselves into, uh, three, into three groups. Uh, uh, Kathy Berglund, which is my chief learning officer, Dr. James Stuhl from the University of Minnesota, and myself, and each and every one of us took one specific ethnic group in the Twin Cities. And we deep dive with that group for almost a year, you know, learning the internal capacity, the external, you know, uh, capacity of the system where they were operating, identifying uh, obstruction, working to gather this data. The amount of data that was gathered was, you know, very powerful. Next slide. And as a result, we were able to come up with a common agenda which is written there to increase opportunity and equity for 12 to 24 years old that result in socially responsible, cultural competent youth leaders and employees that will create a greater Twin City. Our goal is 2040. So we got over, uh, over 2,000 people agreed on this, but this took a lot of time. And the things that could have hindered this process were our desire for quick, you know, uh, uh, for quick solution, desire for, um, um, for cookie cutter approach, and um, our desire for, um, to, to really get to, to, to things really too quick. So we decided that we did not want to follow that path, that really, we really wanted to go into the community, listen to them, and invite those voices. So, through what we call uh, design groups, this community were able to have a voice right at the beginning, through the process, and now they are the ones solving their own problems with uh, help with us. This is what we're doing in the Dominican Republic. This also took about two and a half years. A group of students from Minnesota wanted to do a service learning short-term mission trip, which resulted in a partnership with uh, um, the MUSA, which is the regional hospital, the university, which is uh, the teaching hospital, uh, several physicians came on board. As you can see there, Dr. Bejo uh, is the lead of this project, water purification system using technology uh, from here, uh, from Montana, the Habihat. We were able to create this internal medicine clinic, but it took government, the city, 
and more than 20,000 people were engaged before this project took place. This is what we call effective service, uh, and they have ownership of this project. We have nothing to do from this point on. Next slide. And of course, right now, uh, we are engaged with um, about 15 to 20 large organizations in the Twin City working with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Next slide. Okay, next slide. So, why are we so confused, so perplexed? Next slide. Knowledge, fear, habits, you know, assumptions. If we, and one of my favorite um, quotes come from Orville Wright, if we all work on the assumption that what is accepted as true is really true, there will be little hope for us, for our future. So where are these assumptions are coming from? And this is where I wanted to really, you know, land. Well, next slide. If we, if we believe what we believe about our God, if we say that God is all-powerful God, almighty God, omniscient God, who have all the knowledge and understanding, if we believe that he created the world the way that he created the world and has that much power, then how is it that when we approach effective service, I mean, you know, to do service, we don't use or we don't rely on that power? In fact, uh, it was uh, C.S. Lewis who really brought that, you know, to my attention. You know, why are we are so half-hearted, so quarter-hearted humans who really don't understand the power of what is in us to do the work that God has called us to do. Next slide. So here are three things that I can tell you that I can leave you with. Political correctness, Minnesota nice, and postmodernism are the great enemy of the truth. Jesus Christ, uh, in speaking with uh, Pontius Pilate, you know, for this I have come to the world that the truth may be known. But political correctness is the greatest enemy of truth. We need to be able to face, you know, you know whatever context we are in and address it in a way that is real, that is transparent, and not be afraid that, you know, I'm going to offend X, Y, or Z organization or people because they're not doing the work that they're doing. The truth needs to be known. Minnesota Nice is another problem. Minnesota Nice, you all know what Minnesota Nice is. Minnesota Nice hinder us from being truthful to each other, from encouraging uh, each other to do what we're supposed to do. And lastly, postmodernism, you know, this idea that if we, you know, whatever I think is true is true, so, you know, we understand and we know that postmodernism is the worship of self. So I want to stop right here, and I know this is a lot of information in a short period of time. The whole idea here is you need to know yourself. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. You need to understand what is the great wide door that has been opened to you for effective service, and you need to understand what effective service. One thing that I can leave you with is this. For the last year, I have spent uh, from August of 2014 to August of 2015, I took one book and one book alone, and that was the Bible. I spent only, I spent the whole entire year listening to the gospel, reading the gospel, eating the, the, the gospel, dreaming the gospel, just the four gospel, just to see what Jesus Christ is doing, just to understand how Jesus Christ came to this world. And the most powerful world that I found in the gospel is a four-letter word, and that four-letter word is with. Jesus chose 12 to be with him, and that with mean a period of time where Jesus wanted to equip you, prepare you, do minister to you 
so that then he can minister through you. If you really want to do, know how to do effective service, you have to do it through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Gracious Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm grateful for this fine institution, for the young men and women that are sitting here in front of me, those that you have called to change the world, to catalyze the world. May they know the great power that is in them because you have been sealed them with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, your prayer that we may be one with you as you are one with the Father, the Father in you and you in us. Tell us, Father, that if you are truly in us, we are able to do greater things than what we see the world doing. Holy Father, I pray that you empower, that you help these young men and women here build the right mental models, the right beliefs, the right assumptions about you before they go out and engage in service. May they seek to be their utmost for your highest, Lord, especially as they engage people. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.